You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Welcome, good to be with you. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, the household of God today. And I wonder what comes to mind when I say to you, family. What do you think of when, when someone says the word family? Do you think of, if you're an adult with children, do you think of your current family with your children? Do you think of your family you grew up in? Do you think of holidays, maybe? Memories? Think of uh, meal times? Maybe family is just full of joy for you. Maybe family is quite difficult for you to think about. Um, we're going to be looking at family today and how in Jesus we have been called into the household, the family of God. And uh, we've already experienced that today in a lovely way. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll move into it. Father God, we just thank you so much for being with us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you uh, as individuals. We welcome you corporately as a family. Lord, we thank you so much for your, uh, your commitment to us. Thank you that you, you don't take us lightly, Lord. You take us seriously. You, you've poured out your love upon us. You've adopted us. We pray this morning that you would uh, speak to us in ways that we would hear you. Pray for people who just know they need to hear from God. Would you speak to them this morning? I do pray, soften our hearts and give us the ears we need to hear. And uh, while, while our eyes are closed, would you just pray a little prayer yourself? Maybe even if you're here for the first time, just pray, God, speak to me this morning. Amen. Amen. As I was saying, we're going to be thinking about family. Uh, I don't know if you may not be aware, Tom spoke a little, about, a little bit about enough coming up, our prayer night. Enough is where we join together with our family of churches. We take family very seriously. We, we, you may think of the church as a corporation or, uh, or as a uh, religion, a religious group. Uh, we, we, we believe that Jesus and God started a family and we come together as family. It's a very strong uh, part of our, our beliefs at Hope Church. Uh, maybe you're not aware of that. We'd love to uh, let you know more about that. So this series is We Are the Church. And you may be thinking, who is this we we're talking about? Well, well you, may think, you may have in the past thought of churches as uh, you know, buildings. So um, uh, I went to this wedding on Friday in a very old building, a couple of hundred years old. And you may think of that. When someone says the word church, you may think of you know, our picture here. Uh, and um, and we, we would say to you, no, the church is not a building. Uh, and it's not also supposed to be what some people have made it. Not an organization, not man-made religious systems. Perhaps those, what comes to mind for you is even when you think of church, even pressuring systems or uh, even in the worst cases, oppression. People under all sorts of tradition or emphasis that is not even in this book. That may be what comes to mind to you. Well, today we're going to look at what God, uh, uh, what God meant by his church. Church is the name that has been developed from a Greek word called ecclesia, and it means those who are called. It means God's people, those who are called. So we know that, yeah, we're not the building. You know, here's the building, here's the steeple, look inside, here's the people. It's not just as simple, though, that, okay, so we're not the building, we must just be the people then, okay, done. No, it's what is that people? What is the church? What is the people? Who are we? And that's what we're looking through this series. We're looking at how God is winning for himself a people. 
it would be too simple just to say it is the people. When we talk about Christianity, though, we, we sometimes like to say uh, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. You ever heard that before? And that's so true. It's a beautiful thing. It's a personal relationship. Me and Jesus, it's personal. I know the living God. Wow, that is incredible, and that is true. But if we leave it there, we cut off part of what is supposed to be one of the most crucial elements of what God intends for us who are in him. God is building a people for himself. A people. So we come together today to worship God and enjoy him together. We, the people of God, are brought into something that is manifold. That means multicolored. Being called out by God, we reflect his manifold wisdom. His sublime and profound wisdom as he gives us a multifaceted identity that is something that is glorious. It's not just me and Jesus, not even just the people, but the church that he is calling to himself. So we've been through some different titles so far. But before we go on to a little recap and then on to today's topic, you may think, well, what are you talking about? God has won for himself a people. How has God won a people for himself. What are you talking about? What is this thing? Well, I'm going to go through a blow-by-blow little uh, recap or uh, account of the grand narrative of the Bible. There are four words that you might have heard this before, four words that we describe the grand narrative of the Bible, and it is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. This is the story of God interacting with mankind. First of all, we know in the Bible, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea and the animals. And it was good. And he created man and it was very good. And mankind knew no sin. And when we say sin as Christians, we mean disobedience to God. There was no disobedience to God. There was total trust. There was nothing to separate man from God. There was total uh, intimacy with God. He created us out of the overflow of his love and to glorify himself through fatherhood. So he created man. Mankind walked with God. And then came the fall. The fall is talking about how we fell as a race. We, we gave in to temptation. We gave in to sin. We were tempted by the enemy. And as a result, mankind now run from and deny God. And we are cut off from relationship with him. Into the world came sin and death and guilt and shame, and the world was cursed. But even then, God's redemption plan was immediately into effect. Even in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, immediately God came in and they realized that they were naked. Before that, they had no shame. They they were naked and unashamed. And suddenly, they felt the shame when they sinned. And God said, God clothed them. And that was a picture of how God would clothe us in the future through Jesus. So even straight away, God's redemption plan came in. You may have heard the most famous, probably famous verse of the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever would believe in him may not perish but have eternal life. This is God's plan that through Jesus, God makes a way back to him. So redemption is through Jesus. God gives us the opportunity to come back to restored relationship with him. Where where we were cut off, where we were separated from him, Jesus made a way for it to be possible for us to come back to him. That happened because Jesus willingly died in our place. The Bible says that God says, if there's sin, then there must be 
punishment. If there's sin, someone has to pay for sin. And the payment of sin, the wages of sin is death. So someone had to die for sin. And God, in his grace and kindness, set up a system of sacrifice so that it wouldn't have to be every time someone sins, they get killed instantly. Actually, I'm gracious. I want to make a way for you. And so God gave us animal sacrifices. People would have to bring a goat or a lamb or a bird without any defect, nothing wrong with it. And that was pointing towards the the, the sacrifice that God was going to give us one day. Jesus Christ, without any default, without any uh, defect or any sin in him, never had disobeyed God. The only perfect living man. And God used Jesus, his son. And his son willingly said, I will go and I will be the sacrifice in their place. Jesus dying on the cross was a picture of what we deserved for our sin. And God had made it possible for us to go free because Jesus went in our place. It's called the great exchange, some, some people call it. My sin, my disobedience exchanged for Jesus' perfect righteousness. We swap places at the cross. And Jesus, the Bible says, I died with him on the cross. My sins were paid for. My sins were, were dealt with. They died with him on the cross. And it was given to me his perfect record, his righteousness, and this is the restoration, sorry, this is the redemption. And this is what we call the gospel, the good news. It sounds pretty good news, doesn't it? This uh, punishment that was coming my way, Jesus took it from me. That's fantastic news. That's amazing news. We call it the gospel, the good news of the life and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't stay dead three days later to prove that he had conquered death and conquered sin, and guilt and shame had been conquered forever. As we sang earlier, Christus victor, Christ the victor, he rose again from the dead to say, it is finished, it's done, I've done my job, you can go free. And then finally, the fourth word, restoration, because the story's not over yet. Theologians like to say we're in the now and not yet. Now meaning the kingdom of God is coming in because Jesus has made a way for us to go to the Father. Now, God is available for us, but it's not yet consummated, not yet totally restored to its fullness. Sometimes we pray for people and they get healed, and it's amazing. You see the kingdom of God is coming to this world. Sometimes we pray for people and they don't get healed, and we remember we're in the now and not yet. It's not totally consummated yet. One day, there'll be a day when there'll be total restoration, when everyone is healed, who is with Jesus, when anyone who has chosen Jesus is with him for eternity, forever in glory. And those who haven't chosen, will not, he will not force himself on them. So he, there will be those that have chosen Jesus forever. That, those are the four uh, words of the narrative of, uh, of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I wanted to show you that because I want you to understand this is the story of how Jesus has, for his father, one church, one a people for himself. How he is uh, committed to, to gaining a people for himself. We're going to be in Ephesians 1 and 2 today, if you've got your Bible um, with you. Just have a, have a little look. It'll be on the screen if you don't. So I'm looking at Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this is what Jesus has accomplished. In him, we have redemption. In him, we have unity with each other. In him, we have adoption into the family in the household of God. Jesus has accomplished what we could never accomplish. This series, we're looking at the truly wonderful titles that our corporate identity now holds in Jesus. We are in Jesus. Not just me in Jesus. You stay over there in Jesus and we'll stay separate. No, we are in Jesus together. Together, we've looked at how we are the bride who Jesus has rescued and is making more beautiful all the time and whom he will come back for one day to join to himself for eternity permanently in a new way. We've also looked at the body. It says, the Bible says the church, we are the body together. We work together with Christ as the head leading us. We are secure in the calling he gives us because a body needs all its members. So we don't say, I want to be an eye when actually we're an ear. Because actually we know this is what I've been called to. And we rush to people when we know a member is injured. Because that's what a body does. It, it supports It's injured bodies. So we are the body. And last week, Morris showed us how together we are the temple of God. The Old Testament, that means the part of the Bible before Jesus came, was where God was. Sorry, that's where in the temple of the Old Testament is where God was. Okay? So it was out of bounds for people. God would dwell in his temple, and the temple would dwell with people. But there was only one person per year that could go into the holy place. And then when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says in the Gospels, the Gospels are the the biographical accounts of Jesus' life, it says that when Jesus was dying on the cross, the curtain in the temple, there was a literal curtain, like a boundary between man and God. It tore from top to bottom, miraculously. God himself certifying the way is open. Where there was a boundary between us, there is no boundary. Jesus has ripped open the curtain By dying on the cross. We're free to come in. Now we, Morris was saying, are the living stones that make up a temple. With Jesus as the cornerstone. And it means God dwells in us and with us. Corporately, we are the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. We don't need to go through rituals. We don't need to go to a priest one time a year to find, uh, are we acceptable or not? No, we know God dwelling with us through Jesus. And now, rather than making animal sacrifices, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, trusting that in Jesus we find real life. Jesus changed everything. That's why we go crazy about Jesus at this church. It's all to the glory of Jesus. The the, the Father loves the Son. The Holy Spirit lifts up the name of the Son. It's all about Jesus. The Trinity is in love with each other. And they're inviting us into that. Our God in his incredible wisdom desires that his identity be reflected and revealed 
in ways that individuals cannot display alone. You understand that? But he will be revealed in his body together, in his family together, in ways that he can't be revealed in individuals. So we're looking today at the household of God. If your Bibles are still open, I'm just going to look at Ephesians 2, 19 to the end of the chapter. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there in chapter 19. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Household means family. We're family. The early church, the, the, the church that uh, Jesus created and, uh, and founded on the apostles, the first few centuries, they, they, they um, referred to each other more than any other word as brethren, brothers, brothers. The Bible says uh, to men, treat, your, treat the women around you as sisters. We're called to be family together. Now we're going to look at what does that look like? What does that mean? So the, the, the sentence that could summarize the message today is that uh, through G- Jesus, we are adopted by the Father into a household. So we've looked really about through Jesus. Through Jesus, this has all happened. It's all through Jesus. Now we're going to look a little bit at adoption. We've been adopted into his household. That Ephesians verse that we looked at uh, in the passage uh, in chapter 1, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as his sons. Adoption as the sons of the living God. This is the privilege that we have. This is incredible. It's not God saying, well, uh, you've ticked the boxes, you know, ticked them, so I suppose you can come in. Or, you know, I've wiped the slate clean, or I've paid your debts, but you better not mess up again. It's God saying, no, come in as a son. Come in as a daughter. This is privilege. This is identity. This is coming to know God personally, corporately, that we'd know we are sons and daughters. We don't live as Christians striving to get God's approval. Do you know that? We so easily forget that, don't we? We don't live striving to get God's approval. We live on the back of God's approval. We remember, I am adopted. This is my identity. This is my right standing before the Father. Secured in Jesus. That is secure in Jesus. It's not, I hope with good enough behavior and I try harder every day uh, that maybe God will like me. No, he likes you if you're in Jesus because he loves the Son. The Son was perfect. So if you stand in Jesus today, you know that is secure. If you don't, you can do it today. You can say, Jesus, I need this security. Jesus, I need to know you. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And why has God done this? In in continuing that chapter 1, verse 5, according to the good pleasure of his will. You didn't bend his arm. He's not saying, oh, I suppose she can come in as well. Oh, yeah, I suppose I have to let him in because I've let them in. No, according to the good pleasure of his will. He loves to have you in his family. It's his good pleasure. Wow, God wants you. God wants you. There's a song called uh, A Pageant of Triumph and Glory, a Christian worship song, which I love. 
And it's a very upbeat song. Uh, and it's got a, 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 a little part of one of the verses that says this. The fullness of Christ is my treasure. I've cast off the past with its shame. The power of the Father has raised me to life. I'm a son. I'm forgiven. I'm free. Amen. Hallelujah. The power of the Father has raised me to life. I'm a son. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I've sang that song many times, dancing and drums going, and and then it's still got tears coming to my eyes because that is powerful. I didn't deserve that, to be called the children of God. I'm a son. I'm forgiven. I'm free. We should be singing these songs dancing, shouldn't we? This is a celebration song. So we're adopted sons and daughters. The Apostle John says that we were born of God. What does that look like? We're born of God. Well, I want to talk about three things, about being adopted, being born of God. I've got a picture coming up here. This is me and my son, me and my five-month-old at the time. He's six months now. So my son is quite fat and chubby in a lovely way, and he's got no hair. And you know what people say when they see him? They look so much like you. (laughs) And I try not to get offended, and I try to say, yeah, he's very handsome, isn't he? And the fact is, children bear the likeness of their father. Children bear the likeness of their father. That's number one for us. As adopted children of God, we're to bear the likeness of our father. We may pick up the mannerisms, the sayings of our parents, the sounds that they do. We may obviously look like them. And this is us as children of God, born of God, the Bible says. The other day I was actually in London on the tube and uh, I looked up and and in the window opposite to me I thought, oh, there's Jude, my son. And it was me in the mirror. And I thought, you know, he's a five-month-old. How could I, you know, but actually the the expression, the mannerism that I had on my face, I was like, oh, and then I double took. That is what it is like. We express, we are visually uh, express the the, the characteristics, the likeness of of our father. And being born in God should look like something. John says, you know that everyone who does right has been born of God. Now notice he says, everyone who does right, it takes action. The Bible never really talks about faith or being in relationship with God as something that's just in the mind. Just, it's just a belief system, just a cerebral activity. Nothing from the neck down. No, it doesn't say that. It says we live in, and move, and in him we live and move and have our being. Everyone who does right has been born of God. So we bear witness to our Father by the way we behave. Some of this just happens as we get to know God more. So this morning you may have sang words and seen truths on the, on the screen as we sang and smiled. And that was because you, you saw something true of God and you smiled. And that can just happen as the more that we look into his word, the more we get to know him, the more we sing about him, we start to reveal him. We start to uh, show his mannerisms. We start to uh, bear his likeness more. The more we remember the kindness he showed to us, the grace he's poured out on our life, the undeserved forgiveness he's given to us, the generosity poured out on us, the more we realize I'm motivated to do that. I'm motivated to reflect the, the grace that I've been shown, to pour it out, the love that I've been shown. Sometimes it's more of a choice. Sometimes it's more of a discipline to say, 
are, the Bible says to put off the old and put on the new. Sometimes we say, actually, that's my old identity. I'm not really standing as a child of God when I behave like that. I need to put it off. And I need to put on child of God. That's my identity. But either way, we don't behave in a way to win God's approval because Jesus has fully won God's approval for us. But we do worship. As, as Morris was saying last week, we are living sacrifices. We give our members as living sacrifices, our bodies. Martin Luther said of Christians, good works do not make a Christian, but a Christian does good works. If we are, if we are authentic, genuine children of God, it will display itself. We cannot profess to be the children of God and not have, uh, not have hands and feet that follow with actions that reflect him. So this is actually how God has loved us, isn't it? Through action. This is how God has loved us. This is how we know that God loves us, by his actions. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God doesn't just say to us, I love you, trust me. No, I love you. See this. My son laying his life down for you. My son taking the blame for things that he is innocent from. So that is my second point here, is that to be adopted, to be born of God, means that we are loved by the Father. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. See, see what great love the Father has for us. Not just trust, not just hope in vain. No, see, experience. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. We've been brought into the family. I don't know if you've ever been accused of something you didn't do or blamed for something you didn't do. I remember once when I was about 15, 16 at school, in front of the class, being told off by a, a teacher uh, for something I didn't do. And, uh, you know, a 16-year-old trying to be all tough and hard. And I, and I um, in front of the whole class, I had to wipe away tears so that hope, hopefully no one saw, because it really hurt. I didn't do that. And you made me feel guilty in front of everyone. It really hurt. Now, Jesus took the sins of the world. The only innocent man, totally innocent, never disobeyed the Father, perfect in every way, took the sins of the world. The Bible says that the night that Jesus was betrayed and the night before he was executed, crucified, he he was calling out to the Father and he was in distress and he was in so much distress that he sweat blood. And you might think, well, if I was going to be crucified the next day, I might do that. It's terrifying. And it would have been terrifying physically. But I do I know stories where men and women have been martyred for Christ who have burned at the stake singing hymns happily. Incredible stories. So why is Jesus terrified of this physical pain? Well, it was because it was so much deeper than that. It wasn't just physical pain. He was going to experience the wrath of the Father on him. The terror of knowing anger, against sin, poured out on him, the innocent Jesus, never done anything wrong. This is terrifying. And do you know what else? Jesus knew, I've never been an offense to the Father before. 
Tomorrow I'm going to be the ugliest thing he's ever seen. That broke Jesus. I've never, there's never been any hostility between me and the Father. There's never been anything that has pulled away from the intimacy that I've had with the Father. And tomorrow I'm going to be ugly to him. And he's going to not want to look at me. That crushed him. And yet he did it for our sake. He did it because he loved us. He did it to rescue us. To rescue for himself a people. A bride. To rescue for himself a body. To rescue for himself a family. We do God an immense disservice if we fail to realize we're loved by him. How often do we say, I'm not really sure if God loves me. I don't really feel adequate. don't feel like I'm good enough. How can we say that? When he's displayed in his son, I'm willing to go to this length for you. I'm going to pay this price for you. John Owen, one of the Puritans, said, The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, is not to believe that he loves you. He's given himself. He could not have given himself more for you. Not just physically. He's given himself to be a punishment. To be punished, sorry. To be punished for you. To take a place, to be a sacrifice for you. Spiritually and physically. We are loved by the Father. That's what it means to be uh, in this family. Adopted. Number three, We have a new name and identity. We have dignity. We have a position in Christ. We are children of God. These days, people don't really like to honor people uh, just because of their heritage. I know that many people don't think we should have a royal family anymore. Why Why should they have so much privilege just because they were born into that line, we might think? Well, in the days of uh, the New Testament, when this was written, it was very different. And people's identity would have come more from whom they belonged to than what they had achieved. Today, we're very much caught up in uh, your identity is what you've achieved. When you get to know someone, maybe you introduce someone for the first time, one of the first things you want to find out is, what do you do? And have you done well in it, maybe? You, know, you, you want to know what they've achieved. As Christians, our identities are not first plumber, IT technician, businessman, doctor, teacher, not even first mother, father, brother, sister, son, but son of God, child of God. We stand, as we sang, we stand amazed in the presence of our father. We stand amazed. We don't cower. We're not terrified. We don't think, well, doesn't really measure up to these other things. No, before anything else, I'm a child of the living God. That gives me dignity. It gives me a new identity. There's a great picture I've got here of John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office in the 60s when he was the president of the United States. One of the most powerful men in the world. One of the most restricted access places in the world. The, the desk of the Oval Office. And there's a boy sitting under his desk. But of course, it's not just any boy. It's his son. The intimacy of the relationship of father and son grants access. You have access because of your children, you're a child of the living God. We have access to the Father. Ephesians 2, 18 says we have access to the Father. I know a little bit of this. My dad was a is a preacher and uh, has preached things with with quite big attendance sometimes. And I remember in the 80s and 90s, we had Bible weeks. And sometimes he might preach to four or 5,000 people. 
and uh, in those days. And um, I remember as a similar age boy to this, going up on the stage in my pajamas with my dad, and there's thousands of people there. And because of the access to the Father, I have access to other things. Hebrews 4.16 says, Boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. We've got a position. We've got dignity. The fear of God should be removed. We've come out of a relationship with fear of God into a relationship with love of God, love with God. I felt as I was preparing this, some of us need to recognize this. You still live with your old title, your old identity. You live with shame that's not consistent with a child of the living God. You live in fear of God's disappointment. But God looks at you and says, here is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. You know, he said that over Jesus when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven, the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible says that when we become Christians, we're in Christ. Now the father looks at us and says, this is my beloved who I'm well pleased and some of us, we don't live in that. We think God's disappointed with me. God's not happy with me. Do you know your, your, your right standing with God, your identity with God is secure in heaven? Jesus is standing, uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's there. It's not will he, won't he. He's there. Your righteousness is by the Father secured for you. And some of you today might think, well, I don't know anything about this. I, I, I would like to walk free of my current identity, not my past identity. And that is available for you today. This relationship with the Father, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, being born to new life, born again in Jesus, is available for you today for the first time. Some of you may say, I walked into that building as an enemy of God. I walked out as a child of the living God. Just on a normal Sunday morning, we can know this access today. That's why we sing and dance. That's why we dance, uh, we smile and clap and enjoy this life that God's given us. That's why we take it so seriously, because it is not just life-changing, it's eternity-changing. We're brought into loving friendship, loving family with him. So those are what it is to be adopted. What is it to be in this household, in this family? We're not called to individualism, as I said earlier. We're called to love our father and our brothers and sisters. Household means family. It means real community. I know in our day and age, we're we're in danger of missing out on real community. We connect frequently, don't we? We're always connecting. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're texting, we're emailing. But what is the depth of the relationship? Where is the real community? We might, we're in danger of swamping ourselves with trivial connection and entertainment and really forfeiting genuine family, genuine community. Well, the Bible makes it clear we're created for community. We're not created simply to appreciate it. Oh, community's nice. It's nice when you get it. No, if we don't have it, we are lacking. We're incomplete without community. So we need to uh, strive and and fight for community, not give in so easily to individualism. What are the expectations on us as God's children in his household? My final section here. Well, first of all, as a community, we love our Father. We love our Father together. As uh, I'm one of five siblings, my siblings and I, we love our Father together. 
Often we've done things together for him. We express it in how we, uh, we, we obeyed him growing up at, at times. Uh, we, we look like him in, the, in our mannerisms and in, in some of the beliefs that he's helped us to understand. We reflect him. We love him as a family. And as a family, we love God together. 1 John 4.19. It's on the screen. We love him because he first loved us. Because he poured out his love on us, we love him. And we do it in tangible ways. As I said, we don't just have a cerebral, just mindful belief system that doesn't make any difference. No, we do it in tangible ways. We love him together. We worship together. But one of the most tangible ways to love God is the second point of what it is to be in this family, is to love our brothers and sisters. John thirteen thirty five. By this, Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how we love God, the, one of the best ways. He's pleased with us as our Father, as our Father. He wants to look at us, as Morris said last week, and be pleased. My children loving each other. I'm just going to look quickly at Colossians 3, 12 to 17. I think it's on the screen. This is what it looks like. Uh, where am I? 3, 12 to 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that this sounds familiar to me. I love that this, I don't go to a church that's dead, but we're in a church where we often see this lived out. It sounds like family, doesn't it? I mean, some of the words in here, why would it say be kind and humble if it was if it was easy to do it? Why would it say bear with one another? (laughs) We often know that as siblings in our real families. Forgiving one another. These are things that happen in family. God's called us to live a certain way. Sounds like family. We've received the most amazing sacrificial love and we respond by repeating, by displaying that same kind of love. 1 John 4.20 says, If we say we love God, yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. It doesn't make any sense. It's inconsistent to be singing on Sunday, Oh, Jesus, how I love to sing your praises. You are so good and wonderful. I don't like you. I hate you. You know, it doesn't, it's not consistent. God's called us into his family where we love each other as a display of loving him. Perhaps some of you may think, Well, actually, I've got a grudge against so-and-so. Uh, I'm bitter against so-and-so, I haven't forgiven so-and-so, and I uh, haven't actually reconciled that to being a child of God. It doesn't, it's not consistent. One of the best ways we can love God is by loving each other. I just wanted to read a quick uh, testimony from, from, from this account here. A Christian philosopher named Aristides 
in the early second century also paints the following powerful description of the economic caring and sharing that existed amongst brothers and sisters in the church. So this is the early church. Uh, this is the first centuries. This is the, uh, the, the apostles have just set up the church. And this is what an onlooker uh, says he sees. They walk in all humility and kindness, and falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. They despise not the widow and grieve not the orphan. He that hath distributeth liberally to him that hath not. You try and read that, it's hard. If they see a stranger, they bring him under the roof of, and rejoice over him, as it were their own brother, for they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the spirit and in God. But when one of their number passes away from the world, and any of them see him, then he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear of any of the number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessaries, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. Isn't that amazing? Display of the kingdom of God at work, the family of God. The early church responding to the love of Jesus and being called children of God together. I've heard a, uh, another historian that wasn't a Christian talking about the first century church. They were mocking the Christian church. They were saying, these poor fools, they treat all of their uh, possessions as, a com- as, as communal. They give to anyone who wants it. And he was mocking them, saying, look, they're so open to uh, abuse. Anyone could just walk in there and, and take what he wants and what he needs. But I think, wow, what an amazing thing to be made fun of. Beautiful. This, this community was saying, look, we, we, we don't hold on tightly to our things. We share in community. We love in community. We give. This is a picture of the family of God. I'm so pleased to say that I see this and know this in the life of Hope Church. Just this last week, we had Jenny and Casey's wedding. You should have seen this room on, uh, on Friday night. Totally different. Because not being paid, but just out of love, uh, loads of their friends from Hope came and sought the building out, and helped with food, helped set things up. Then Saturday morning, coming and, and, and taking it down again, getting it back to its beautiful, normal state. So we, we got this in the life of our church. We've got people loving each other. I know that uh, a few of the girls met up and prayed weekly with Jenny. Uh, every week, that is, not weekly. They prayed every week with, uh, with Jenny before the wedding. Uh, just, just to love her and support her in that way. Uh, I don't think that's a comment on you, Casey. Um, I've been included in emails at this church where it's just uh, so-and-so is having a tough time at the moment. How can we bless them? Let's get around them. Let's, let's make them meals. Let's look, look after their kids. How can we serve them? It's beautiful. This is the life of our church being family. I know that we, as I showed you earlier, had a baby uh, six months ago and people made us meals for a few weeks just to take the burden off, to be friends, to be family with us. We've done this for others. People offering to babysit, to say, look, I know you, you could probably do with a night off. Why don't I come over and babysit? Isn't that beautiful? Gifts or shopping. Other people have just dropped off shopping to our house before or, or given us other practi- practical gifts. And this last few weeks ago, I, I bought a sofa, uh, and I phoned up somebody from church. Oh, can you help me with, with getting this? I haven't got a big enough car. Uh, he, he, he had his day off. He gave me about two, two hours, two or three hours to help me with it. We actually went to his brother's, and uh, the, the, the truck that we were hoping wasn't there. So his brother just said, oh, you can take mine. 
That's family. Just saying, yeah, let's give each other time. Let's give each other love. Serve each other. It's fantastic. And those are just the things that I know about in the life of the church. Just some of the things I know about. Isn't it great to be in a church like this? We've got a pastoral care team at this church, but really we are all a community of pastoral care. We're looking after each other. We're praying for each other. We're loving each other. We are leaning on each other in the grace of God. Brothers and sisters looking out for one another. So a few questions for you. When was the last time you showed tangible, practical sibling love to someone at church? How could you make a practice of it? I know someone at Hope who uh, has made a goal that every week he uh, encourages one person on a Sunday. Isn't that lovely? Just as simple and practical as that. Loving brothers and sisters. Perhaps you could uh, write some cards for people or, or visit someone or do some shopping for someone. Maybe pray with people. Perhaps it is to organize a night out for a couple who you know would really benefit from a night out together or some time off. Giving genuine encouragements. Inviting people over to your house. What about looking for people on Sunday who might look a bit isolated? So this worship is not only sacrificial and holy and glorifying to God, but it expresses to the world this beautiful family that is in God. One early church historian, Tertullian, wrote, See how these Christians love each other. Isn't that fantastic? See how these Christians love each other. It's an exclamation. He's amazed. See it. Look at how they, what they do for each other. Don't we want that to be what the world says about us? See how these guys love each other. As I said earlier, Jesus says, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, because you love each other. We want that to be our testimony to the world. We meet, you might not know we meet uh, weekly in small groups in the church where we're trying to push into community, trying to push into family. Say, this isn't just about a Sunday meeting. This is about being a family together. And you might not be in one of those. I'd really encourage you to speak to somebody at the information point afterwards. Say, I'd like to get into a community group, into a a small group, so that I can get more into the life of the church, into the community. But if we can truly grasp the importance of loving God as our Father, as well as loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, what a powerful signal this will be to an unbelieving world. Isn't that powerful, I think, for them? The Bible says it will be. I believe it would be. Through Jesus, our Savior, we have been adopted by God, the Father, into his household, which is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Amazing. Maybe you're here today and you've never heard that gospel before. You've never really known those, that narrative of the Bible that, 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 that there was a creation full. Now there's redemption and there will be restoration. Maybe you think, I'd love to enter this household, this family. I'd love to be adopted by this father through the loving provision of Jesus. Well, if that's you today, please come and speak to me. I can, I can pray with you. I can walk with you through what it means to give your life and trust Jesus with your life and find real life in Jesus. We can do it today. You can walk out here today as a child of the living God. I'd love to do that with you. So please do speak to me if you'd like to. If you'd like prayer for anything else, come and pray afterwards. If you just know, actually, I need to step out of my old identity and be in this identity as a child of God. Stop living in shame and guilt. Stop living in fear. Start living with dignity as a child of God. Come and we'll pray for you. I'm going to pray now to finish up. 
Father God, we just thank you so much. You provided family for us. You're not just, uh, not just abstract people, but brothers and sisters. Thank you that Jesus Christ, you are uh, at the head. And Father God, you have adopted us through Jesus. We thank you that we know dignity. We thank you that we know restoration. We thank you that we are being redeemed to, uh, to that day that we come face to face with you. As John said earlier, we will be like you, for we will see you as you are. We look forward to that day with massive anticipation. We're excited to be in this family. Thank you for what you've called to yourself, what you've created in us. We do pray you'd help us to be a display to the world of what it looks like to be in the love of God and to display the love of God to each other. That people will say, they must be Christians. Look how they love each other. really ask you to, to, to help us with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.